0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Second Look. That happy-sounding introduction music might be a little disingenuous today. (laughs) I'm not in the happiest of moods because there's been an awful, terrible terrorist attack... And an awful, terrible response to a terrorist attack. And I'm probably about to destroy any future that I might have had in Republican politics. But hey! No better time than the present, right? Let's just get down to it. So last I heard, 132 people died in Paris. So that brings it up to roughly 500 killed or wounded in the attacks in the City of Lights by the Islamic State. Um, ISIS, ISIL, uh, I'll probably mostly use the term ISIS in this episode, but just know that that's who I'm referring to. These attacks are despicable, to say the very least. They're unconscionable. Paris is arguably the most peaceful city in the world. It's um, universally loved. And these barbarians came in and wreaked utter havoc upon a beautiful city. On people just enjoying life at a cafe, at a concert. Not knowing that it would be the last thing they ever enjoyed. I had a hard time on Friday trying to decide how to respond. I, I was just so overcome by emotion any time I thought about this that I just kind of wasn't letting myself think about it for a long time. It's awful. It's unimaginable. I, just a couple weeks ago, I was with my wife in a theater enjoying a performance of The Phantom of the Opera. I... I really can't imagine what those final moments would feel like if terrorists had stormed in and took us as hostages and then began to execute us. i The horror and the pain and the regret that must have filled those rooms is just a little too much for me to bear. I... I get pretty emotionally overwhelmed when I think about it. It's so sad. It's tragic. And as many have pointed out, Paris isn't the only tragedy. I mean, we've had bombings in Beirut. We've had, I mean, ongoing bombings in Iraq. And who knows where it'll happen next, Today, I've spent most of the day being angry, (laughs) Uh, anytime I think about it, because the discussion of Paris quickly turned into a discussion of refugees, and we're going to get there in a bit, but I want to stop and talk a little bit about terrorism and how we should respond to it before we get to that discussion on refugees. As I said a minute ago, Paris is arguably the most peaceful city in the world. It's, um, it's Paris. I mean, what else can you say? It's a city of romance, of light, of um, tourism, of culture. And it's not historically been a place of war even in the the way that other very peaceful cities have been and so this attack I feel like is stunning and I think that's why it's gotten so much more attention than the bombings in Beirut than the bombings other places I don't think it's the media being racist I don't think it's any of that I think it's just frankly more shocking that this happened in in France, and specifically in Paris. And people's responses to this have been so infuriating to me. First of all, Friday night, mere hours after this, I saw arguments about gun control going on, and I'm sure I've said on this show before how I feel about that. I don't believe in the politicization of tragedies. I think it's offensive to the victims' uh, families. I I think it's offensive to the victims themselves who have died. Out of respect for them, we should wait a, a decent interval before we go and talk about these things. But Anyway, setting that aside, it got politicized. And I saw people in my timeline saying, well, if the people in that cafe had had guns or the people in that theater had had guns, this wouldn't have happened. That might be true. What does that accomplish? It accomplishes nothing. Nothing. It gets some people riled up. It got me riled up. because some people riled up in defense of gun control. Some people riled up uh, in in opposition to gun control, and people like me riled up over the politicization of this tragedy. It does nothing for the public discourse. It's stupid, (laughs) quite frankly. So, beyond that, then people start calling for war. Now, foreign policy is something I am quickly growing used to being in the minority on. This is something that has changed drastically. Probably the thing that has changed the most drastically about all of my political beliefs is foreign policy. The more I learn about the world and its history and its... Current state, geopolitical state, the more I am convinced that intervention is disastrous. I am driven to non intervention. The more I see, the more convinced I am that this is the right course. And that includes these Paris attacks. I came to college firmly anchored in the belief that the best way to bring freedom to the world was to spread democracy. This was a common Bush-era philosophy, and I subscribed to it without much thought. And I don't have inherent animosity toward people who subscribe to that philosophy. It's a perfectly valid theory, but I have grown convinced that it is wrong. (laughs) And that the best way to spread freedom around the world is to leave people alone. (laughs) I have grown from becoming... from... Perpetually saying, I'm not anti-war, I'm pro-peace, to today, I proudly wear the label of being anti-war. I, I'm not anti-troops. I, I'm strongly grateful for the sacrifices made on my behalf, but I want to make sure that none of those sacrifices are unjust, I want to make sure that every serviceman and woman who gives their life does so for the right reasons and not for the cause of spreading democracy in nations that don't want it. In nations where, at the moment anyway, democracy is incompatible with their current political, or religious status. I am anti-war. I believe that war causes the death of innocence. I believe that every war has vastly more unintended consequences than unintended benefits. Um, and I do say that. I mean every war. And I I'm including the U.S. Revolutionary War in that. That is a story for another day. But, just so you know, I am at least trying to be very consistent in that regard, in making that claim. I don't know what to do to get rid of the Islamic State because I personally believe that it would be morally wrong for Western nations to go in and fight ISIS with troops on the ground. That's my personal belief. You don't have to agree with me, but I cannot morally support that. However, I do think that ISIS needs to be stopped. Anyone who doesn't think that is probably a little bit crazy. Um, So I don't, I, I'll just make the claim right now, I don't know what should be done about the Islamic State. I haven't read enough. I'm not informed enough to have an opinion about what we should do. But I have a strong conviction about what we should not do. And I do have reasons to back that up. And that is, put simply, the United States, France, NATO, anybody should not start a ground war against ISIS. A large reason of behind this is stemming from why terrorists are terrorists. Now, the way I see it, terrorists become terrorists for a few reasons. We don't really know why people become radicalized, but the motivation that a terrorist has for going into a Paris theater and wreaking havoc upon innocent civilians, there are a few motivations there. Number one is, If the terrorist is um, following jihad, which the vast majority of terrorism these days does appear to be Islamic terrorism, Um, that wasn't always true, but now it is. So, assuming the terrorist is following jihad, you die a martyr, that's the best way you can possibly die. You kill infidels in the process even better. There's a motivator. (laughs) This is according to their religion. This is why they're doing this. Also, you have become radicalized. You're passionate about this. And you want people back home to do the same. Because you want to see the infidels ended. But... If everyone goes and just kills themselves, well, that's the end of the terrorists. <laughs> you you need new people to be signing up if you are a jihadist. Sorry for making you the jihadist in this example, but it's just a little bit easier that way. I I don't see any real... A lot of people say terrorists attack us because they hate our freedoms. That may be partially true, but I... From the way I see it, these are the two biggest motivators. Kill as many infidels as possible in your death as a martyr and recruit people to do it in your place. So, what will make people want to sign up to go get trained and become a suicide bomber or a gunman? What what will radicalize people? One of the best ways to galvanize people behind a cause, at least temporarily, is a war. If you look at the United States after the 9-11 attacks, we were united. And I believe that that unity, temporary unity lasted longer because we went to war in Afghanistan and we were fighting an enemy. We were fighting the Taliban. We were looking for Osama bin Laden and fighting Al-Qaeda. We were united together against this enemy. So if the Western world unites against ISIL, then the people of Iraq, the people of the Levant, the people of Syria who are already predisposed to be unsympathetic to the secular humanism of Western philosophy, are going to be galvanized in response. They may not like the Islamic State, but compared to outsiders, it's preferable. We don't understand their way of life, We don't understand their culture. We don't understand why they go and become radicalized. They clearly do understand why, because it keeps happening. I firmly believe that war against the Islamic State would be a tragic mistake that would only lead to increased support for the Islamic State, and increased terror attacks in nations around the world. And I believe it is a war we cannot win. You cannot reason with terrorists. I believe that our only two options here are disengaging, letting The Muslim countries fight the Muslim countries, letting Iran and Syria fight ISIS, disengaging completely, or kill everyone. If we went in and slaughtered everyone, civilians, combatants, all of them, that would be a reasonable option, logically. Morally, depraved. It's terrible, it's genocide but i the way i see it those are our only two feasible options because listen to this this is from i i'm reading to you islamic state propaganda here Let France and all nations following its path know that they will continue to be at the top of the target list for the Islamic State, and that the scent of death will not leave their nostrils as long as they partake in the crusader campaign, as long as they dare to curse our prophet, blessings and peace be upon him, and as long as they boast about their war against Islam in France and their strikes against Muslims in the land of the caliphate with their jets." which were of no avail to them in the filthy streets and alleys of Paris. Indeed, this is just the beginning. It is also a warning for any who wish to take heed. If that doesn't terrify you, there's something wrong there. (laughs) The terrorists are never going to stop. And for the last 12 years, 14 years, for the last 14 years, we've been warring against them. It's been 12 years since we went into Iraq. And it hasn't gotten better. It's actually gotten way, 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 way worse. I say let's not let those 2,977 souls on September 11th, 2001, and those 152 souls on whatever the date was last Friday in 2015, November 13th, 2015. Let's not let those souls have died in vain. Let's not make this problem any worse. Let's get out as fast as we can. So that's what I have to say about that. In case you can't tell, I feel pretty strongly about this. (laughs) I've been, like I said, angry all day. But the bigger, bigger reason to me that I feel angry with, especially conservatives today, is about refugees. This war, this terrible, awful war between Bashar al-Assad and ISIL is ravaging millions of people. We have a million refugees who are trying to escape this war and Near universally in my spheres of influence, conservatives have been crying, no refugees in the United States. Keep them out. Because we don't know if they're terrorists or not. First of all, let me just set up this, um, th- this scenario here. 10,000 people get trapped inside a basketball arena. Okay? 10,000 people trapped inside. And there's a slow gas leak that's going to kill a certain number of them every day. We don't know how many. Some days it might be 500, some days it might be 50. But every single day, some of these 10,000 people will die. You are in control. You could let the people out of Of the basketball arena. You could order the doors to be opened. But you know that of these 10,000 people who are trapped inside, it's possible that 2,000 of them could be radicals who stand against you and everything you're for. And if you let them out of this basketball arena, they will likely try to murder you and your family, at the very least, they're going to dramatically and inflammatorily speak out against your way of life. 2,000 of these people, but 8,000 people in there are just innocent. They might not agree with you on everything. They practice a different religion than you do. What do you do? Do you open the doors or do you leave them closed and say everyone is going to die? If you say leave the doors closed, I don't even know where to begin. I have a real problem with that. If it were me, I'd open those doors in a heartbeat. I'd say, come at me, murderers. I'm saving 8,000 lives. <sighs> I... We'll just set that hypo- hypothetical aside for now. The I believe it's the Niskanen Center. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's kind of a libertarian-oriented think tank. And uh, Dave Beer wrote a piece today, Six Reasons to Welcome Syrian Refugees After Paris. And I highly encourage you to go and read this whole article, because he does a better job explaining it than I ever could. Number one, the Paris attackers were not refugees. One attacker, they found a passport near his body. It was a fake Syrian passport, and it maybe belonged to him. Maybe. Maybe. He was not a refugee. He did not have refugee designation from the UN, and he wasn't vetted, vetted by intelligence agencies, and he never had refugee status in any country. So that argument is gone. Number two, historically, U.S. refugees do not become terrorists. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Not a single person admitted into the U.S. under the refugee program has ever become a terrorist. Number three, other migration channels are easier to exploit than the U.S. refugee process. All of the terrorist attacks over the last 35 years have been caused by non-refugees, by people who came here under student visas or tourist visas, or worse, were actually citizens. Timothy McVeigh, anybody? Number four, ISIS sees Syrian refugees as traitors. According to ISIS, Syrian Muslim refugees are traitors to the radical Islamic cause. Quote, it is correct for Muslims to leave the lands of the infidel for the lands of Islam, but not vice versa. Number five, Turning away allies will make us less safe. Think about these refugees. If they are trying to leave, that means two things. Number one, they don't like ISIS. Number two, they don't like Bashar al Assad. Most people in the world say agree with one of those two things. The West agrees with both of them. Iran? all alright with Assad. They don't like ISIS. Some other countries are okay with ISIS, but they can't stand Assad. These refugees are running away because they don't want to join either side. So if we send them back and they happen to live through it, it means they're going to be joining one side or the other. And so they will be opposed to us. Number six. America should demonstrate moral courage. And I like that Dave Beer listed this one last, because this is the kicker to me. What is courageous about saying, oh, but we could be letting terrorists in? Since when do Americans live their lives in fear? I don't live my life ruled by fear. I live every day with the knowledge that it could be my last nothing is safe you are never safe safety is an illusion if you took your family and you said okay we are we just need to be safe we're going to go off entirely by ourselves so you find a completely uninhabited island and you live there you're not safe from famine Let's say you manage to bring an unlimited food supply, food and water supply, with you. So it's you and your family on this island, unlimited food and water supply. You're not safe from wildlife. You're not safe from disease. You're not safe from cancer. You're not safe from natural disasters. You're not safe from another family being like, oh, I want to get away from this too. Finding that same island and trying to kill you. You're never, ever, in your whole entire life, there will never be a point that you are safe. So, let's stop trying to cling to this illusion of safety and do the right thing. Million people, at least a million people, are asking for our help. And we're turning them away because... Some of them might try to kill us? I <laughs> I have no words for this. And, and I've seen on Twitter all day long, people have said, well, if you want refugees so bad, y- you house them. Well, you know what? I physically couldn't house them. I live in a one-bedroom apartment, and I frankly do not have personally the money to support someone else. If I had a bigger home, if I had a little bit more income, you bet I'd house a refugee. And especially, especially, just from a religious note here, especially because I'm a Christian. I, as a Christian, I don't live in fear. I have, because of my faith, I have hope after death. I'm not in fear of... Anything any other person can do to me. (sighs) I'm afraid I might have blended into the cacophony a little bit today. I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. What I want you to take away from this episode is not, Wow, Benjamin's really angry. Or, wow, Benjamin thinks I need to agree with him on everything. I don't want you to spout out my opinions that I've shared with you here. I want you to do one thing. And that is think. Think about your opinions. Don't just take something someone else says for granted. Think about the logic. Think about history. Think about what you would do if you were in someone else's shoes. Think about how you would want other nations to respond if there were suddenly a refugee crisis in the United States. Just think. Don't beat your chest, don't cry for war. It's fine if you end up deciding you support war. Don't let it be an emotional response. Just think. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Like I said, that happy music might be a little disingenuous. I hope that I presented everything today from a logical standpoint. If I didn't, feel free to call me out on it. You can find me on Twitter at bgreenaz or you can lambast me in the comments at outsetmagazine.com. You can also find... Every episode of Second Look and all of the other Outset podcasts in iTunes, the Stephen Perkins program, and Young Guns, and also as a special announcement, there will be a live episode of Young Guns this week on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I might be on it. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to wait and see, but make sure you check that out. As always, follow at Outset Magazine on Twitter and, of course, our awesome editor-in-chief at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. Hopefully I'll see you next week in between now and then. Uh, think!